Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello, and welcome back to Godsplaining. I am Father Gregory Pine, joining you from Freiburg, Switzerland, here with Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic in sunny Washington, D.C. Father Jacob Bertrand, how are things? Uh, fine. I don't know if things are sunny. The The blinds are closed, so it was kind of sunny earlier, and it kind of got cloudy, and then it was really windy, super windy, uh, like 25-mile-an-hour okay. winds with like 50-mile-an-hour gusts, so Dang. I can hear the wind, but that's it. Probably not. Really? You probably weren't awesome. looking for a weather report, but you got no, it. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to receive a weather report. Um, sometimes on my little weather app, I have, I have my hometown, I have Washington DC and I have Freiburg, Switzerland. And when I go to check the weather in Freiburg, I'm like, oh yeah, it's, you know, negative a thousand. And then I look at Washington DC and it's always like 78 degrees and that causes me great anguish. Whoa. Um, emptiness and pain. Um, but that's okay because yeah. I console myself with chocolate and cheese and timepieces. Um, because such is life in Switzerland. It's just bountiful mm. in those three categories of things. That's um, great. None of which is human affection. Um, actually, <laughs> a, a cool thing that I did recently in Switzerland was I went on this hike in this canton, which is like a state called Valais, and um, I That's hiked next to a cars, glacier right? for a long time. What's that? In Valais, where they park the cars. Oh my gosh, it was a joke. Oh. <laughs> Man, that was savage. I didn't even see that coming. Um, yeah. Okay. So I was in, it's spelled differently, but that's immaterial because this is not a written podcast. This is a spoken <laughs> podcast, <laughs> but I hike, I hike next to a glacier for like a good three hours. Um, so like a primordial ice flow, which never mind. I'm going to stop talking about this because people are like, why are they talking about glaciers? And why is he talking about glaciers? I'm not going to implicate you in this, my misadventure. I was All talking right. about the wind. So <laughs> I think, I think we, we've, we're even now in being okay. terrible podcasters. Uh, <laughs> so we're back at square square one. After two back plus years, we're one. still awful at this. But uh, thank hey, you. Thanks for being here. So thank you. Thank you to all those who have helped at, to, to get to this point. I'd call it a zenith, but it's more like a nadir. Um, dude, that was a 10th grade vocab. Never mind. Moving on, Father Gregory. Get to the episode. Um, so for this episode, we're going to talk about temperaments, which is a difficult word to spell because there's like a stray A in the middle. Not as difficult to spell as vittles, which looks like victuals, but again, besides the point, spoken podcast. Um, so we're going to talk about temperaments because it's a thing that people talk about. It's one of those conversation starters where people will talk about temperaments or they'll talk about like five love languages or they'll talk about your Myers-Briggs index. It's kind of like a, where do you fall personality-wise? Um, and there's some, you know, there's some helpful things that you can gain from it. I think sometimes there can be some unful, unhelpful ways by which to apply it. But that's what we're here to talk about. That's what we're here to sort out. So I guess temperaments fall broadly within kind of psychology. This would be more like pop psychology than the type of psychology for which you would go to school for like six years. Um, but maybe you could set us up, Father Jacob Bertrand, and situate the conversation is psychology important to know about, not important to know about? Does it help us? Does it hurt us? What do we think? It's not important, and it only hurts us. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where that sits. 
Um, so <laughs> we're good on that. Uh, no, I guess it's fine. Um, yeah. So thinking of, I guess we'll talk about like as pop psychology, because this is, I guess, pop in as much as people kind of talk about it casually and, you know, like in an unstudied way, uh, though some people study it. So, uh, but we're talking about it in the unstudied kind of popular way of understanding temperaments, personality, dispositions, those kind of things. Um, is it helpful? I think in some ways, I think we can say in some ways it's helpful. I, I was re recently, I don't know, as recently as like six months ago, was reading a book on the Enneagram and it's like a Catholic interpretation of the Enneagram. Um, and it was interesting to read like, well, I don't even remember how many different numbers there are. This is how like closely I was reading. But with the different kind of personality dispositions uh, through the Enneagram, there were there were ways where it's like yeah this I can identify people as like a two, three four whatever however it works so like I'm this number I'm not going to tell you what I thought I was because uh, I don't reveal personal things about me that's why we talk about the wind um, but <laughs> yeah so I think there was something helpful in it um, one of the points that I found to be helpful in this particular author uh, who is writing about the enneagram we're going to talk more about I think like the the four temperaments uh, than the enneagram but um, was was his caveat throughout the throughout the book was that the Enneagram or your number where you fall on this scale or this like circle thing shape thing um, isn't so much a definer of your characteristics. It doesn't define who you are, but is a way by which to understand people, um, their people's predisposition to react to certain circumstances or in certain settings. So I thought that I thought that was that's an insightful and helpful way to approach um, things that are sort of pop psychology, like the temperaments or the Enneagram or these kind of things that, it, that it's not a way by which to box people in, but a way by which to understand at least generally um, people who are kind of in this category, whether they're choleric or melancholic or a 12, whatever on the Enneagram scales, like typically they're going to react to these kind of external stimuli in a particular, in this particular way, not always, but sometimes. And I think that can be helpful for understanding yourself in social settings in uh, in more intimate relationships or one-on-one -on -one relationships and in just kind of reacting to like stressors or the way by which like you decompress or the way by which you work in group dynamics. So I think there's, there's something to be said. There's something to be helpful, but it's not at the end of the day, sort of the defining reality of what like humanity is. So if we find some sort of balance between those two kind of some kind of virtuous mean, I think, I think there's enough, you know, we can talk about it in, in ways that could be useful, but not ways that we are like bound by them. If that makes any coherent sense. Totes. Yeah. That's actually, that's a good thumbnail sketch for the, uh, for the episode, because I think we can just maybe situate it in terms of, you know, like what, what helps it affords you. Well, we'll talk about what it is, you know, like, what, what temperaments signify and then what sort of helps they can afford you and then how you can incorporate them maybe in your spiritual life. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you were mentioning reading the article about the Enneagram I'm reading, or I'm like a third of the way through the temperament that God gave you because it was recommended to me, um, which is good. It's sweet. It kind of gives a little index at the outset and then it talks about temperaments and relationships. It's mostly ordered to family life. So it's like among spouses, between parents and children and things like that. Uh, but then it concludes with a section about the spiritual life. So yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit about what the temperaments are. Um, you know, you've probably heard of the ancient medicinal theory 
that there was there ought to be a balance of the four humors, and those would be like blood, phlegm, black bile, and yellow bile. Uh, that 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 kind of biology, which informed the theory, doesn't so much obtain, given our current understanding of things. But yeah, there's still a a bodily component to the four temperaments, and Father Jacob Bertrand, you alluded to a couple of them, but there's choleric, melancholic, sanguine, and phlegmatic. And again, the way that we use these words is a decent indicator of what they are. Um, but yeah, maybe if you want to just kind of uh, give us a thumbnail sketch of what we, what we use as associations and maybe some of the character strengths that you've picked up in your interactions with people of such like sorts. Yeah. Yeah. As Father Gregory was, was mentioning, these, like the humors are, were thought to be like basically before, I guess, I, I have no clue the time kind of scale on these things but before the advent of modern medicine uh <laughs> they like they were understood the humors the four humors that father gregory mentioned sanguine which referred or with was with reference to the blood phlegmatic to like phlegm kind of you know a really pretty picture choleric this idea of choleric yellow bile and melancholic black bile um that these these four humors these four sort of things need to be balanced in the bodies body and sometimes when there was an imbalance um there there would have to be either like a letting of of blood by way of example this is probably what people are most familiar with bloodletting so as to balance the sort of like um the things within the body to to give a person better health uh, but i think with respect to the way we're talking about them in the temperaments and and kind of a psych psychological kind of thing personality dispositions um we the the four temperaments are let's just define you know walk through them real quick so some sanguine is um, somebody who is sort of, um, I don't know, like optimistic, lively, kind of carefree. Um, they're, they're typically, um, I don't know, not laid back in the, in the sense of like melancholic, but like easygoing, easy personalities to get along with. Um, so that's, I guess, you know, a sanguine a phlegmatic is somebody who is, uh, I, I would say they're, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of not me. Uh, but super laid back, um, kind of go with the flow. Uh, you know, the, I don't know what else would you say about a phlegmatic, uh, besides yeah, that like peacemaker, typically conflict averse, or they try to quell conflict. And there's sometimes they're like prone to interiorize if they see that a conflict can be avoided in that way. So yeah, they're yeah pretty like, I think introverted by comparison to the sanguine who would be more extroverted. Yeah. So we have sanguine, phlegmatic, uh, and the choleric. Um, the choleric, uh, the nice way to describe a choleric is that they're like goal oriented or they are <laughs> uh, like analytical or logical, like very practical, straightforward, usually a little more aggressive personality wise, um, not conflict averse. Um, so uh, Father Gregory's laughing because I'm sort of describing myself. Uh, so I have an easier time describing the choleric, uh, so fine. And then the fourth year after the, um, sanguine phlegmatic choleric is the melancholic, the melancholic in sort of a bad way of describing a melancholic is someone who is given to melancholy, someone who's a little more kind of, um, I don't know, pessimistic, uh, kind of, um, what I'm trying to think of like nice ways. I'm I'm thinking of people that are melancholic that I can kind of like poke fun at, but they're a little more, <laughs> in, yeah, introverted, kind of pessimistic, um, given to like being alone, um, those sort of things, I think. Yeah. I don't know, you could probably describe so like, whereas, it. With... 
yeah, yeah. Where, whereas the choleric might be more extroverted, the melancholic would be more introverted. I think uh, a melancholic who was trying to describe himself in a way that was flattering would say that he's idealistic, you know, so motivated by things like truth and justice um, of a more kind of ponderous or contemplative sort. So, yeah, they, they might react slowly to stimuli, but then they'll form an opinion and they'll hold to that opinion. So unfortunately, they can be very fierce in the uh, judgments that they make, even if those are like judgments of unforgiveness, for instance. Um, <laughs> so as Father Jacob Burchard is to choleric, so am I to melancholic. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. So that, that'd be like the basic lay of the land. You've got a couple of more extroverted types, a couple of more introverted types, and then you see these different reactions to stimuli. So just as Father Jacob Burchard mentioned at the top of the episode, a lot of it, what, like a lot of what it is, is a description of how one reacts to stimuli, how intensely, and then how, um, like how long as it were, like what the duration of that reaction would be. So it's a good way by which to understand, you know, how you process, uh, or how you interact with the exterior world. And then maybe how you can talk yourself down or, uh, kind of like get yourself um, more motivated as it were, or give impetus as a way of um, maybe supplementing for or ameliorating some of the deficiencies and excesses. Um, so I think that, you know, just kind of given that, given that basic landscape now, we have a, a decent setting in which to ask maybe, maybe some more, I don't know, like maybe, maybe some questions along the lines of, okay, so given that this is the case and maybe I'm able to identify myself in one of these descriptions, well, what does it matter? Is it something that I can change? Like, it sounds like the type of thing that's just, it's just part of how you were born. It's, it's part of nature. Maybe there's a little bit of nurture there, but to what extent do I have control over it? And if I do, you know, is it good? Does that represent like a kind of suppression or does that represent a kind of repression? Um, so when we come back after the break, we'll get into these questions, how much stock we should put in the temperaments, and then maybe how much ought we were to, to reduce our life to temperaments. So stick with us and we'll treat it in turn. You are listening to Godsplaining. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. All right, and we're back here on this episode of Godsplaining in which we are talking about the four temperaments. Um, not as a way by which to reduce ourselves or to put ourselves in a kind of pop psychological box, but as a way by which to better understand what animates us and how best to live a life ordered to, you know, health, sanctity, uh, happiness of a certain sort. Uh, so, Father Jacob Bertram, we're going to ask a question like, how much stock should we put in this, this temperament talk? Um, like, what good does it get us or what application do you see it having? So get us going. Yeah, I think that falls under under the the realm of self knowledge, and especially when we're talking about like the spiritual life um, of of like n yeah knowing yourself. I guess that's a tautology for self knowledge um, because I'm just reversing words around to define it. So, uh, and there there's a great um, I'm sure I've said it on the podcast in some episode before, but there's this and and like looking back in the tradition of the Christian spiritual life there's especially towards the desert fathers and kind of like the really ancient and kind of foundational 
a movement that in that has inspired and formed the the traditions of the Christian spiritual life. There's this kind of triptych that uh, that was that was used, and basically, it's a triptych moving from self knowledge to self acceptance to self transcendence. Uh, so, just like super quick word on each, and but really, we'll focus on the self knowledge thing. That this idea of of growing in the spiritual life has to begin with knowing yourself, not in a sort of like existential like ah know thyself so as to like whatever but to know yourself so as to recognize like who you are like it, it's really it has to do with humility to recognize who you are before god um that you are a sinner in need of god's grace um but also that you are invited to share in god's uh divine life that moves then to self-acceptance that knowing who you are you kind of accept that like yes i'm a sinner and i'm in need of god's grace so you move through that and then the self-transcendence isn't a sort of gnostic move outside of the body or something like that but but a sort of like detachment from the fact that i'm a sinner that like the focus does is not that i'm a sinner but the focus is that god is god so this sort of move there and i think talking about the temperaments uh really falls into that self-knowledge category being an expert in the temperaments or being an expert in in the temperament that you fall into doesn't is not the sort of gnostic key to further growth in the spiritual life but it is helpful to growth in the spiritual life and in virtue and those sort of things so to know as we were talking about before the break how you react to external stimuli or stressors or that sort of thing that like me as a choleric i'm going to react very quickly but like my react i'm i'll probably get annoyed very quickly but i'll be over it in like four seconds and then be annoyed about something else you know that's just like i know that's how i work so i don't put too much stock in it or like father gregory he just will brood over things for years and years and years and years, and years. i'm just kidding but you know i was like a melancholic he's going to react differently to it so the, it's it's really i think a matter of, of self-knowledge but recognizing that self-knowledge is not the is not the epitome is not is not the height of christian perfection but really just kind of the starting point and is a tool to help you know know ourselves a little bit better um, I guess one one other thought here is that, you know, when s sometimes, you know, in hearing confessions, people will confess that I was angry, you know, confess anger. Uh, and it's so then my question always, is always like, at what? Uh, why were you angry? Because sometimes, ang you know, we ought to be angry. Sometimes a situation demands uh, demands that we're that we're angry and, and we anger can become a sin when it broods, when we dwell on it and those sort of things. But um, it's it's a knowing of. Um, like, okay, this, this is the situation. This is why I acted, reacted to it in this way. Um, but don't not allowing anger to become a stumbling block. You know, it's like, it's a reaction. That's how I react to something that causes me to be angry when I see an injustice. So too with the temperaments, they're not stumbling blocks. And they're also not the, the height of um, Christian life, but helpful to know that like, this is how I react in a particular situation or a particular setting. So I think that's where we ought to, uh, give them credence and, and, and room in our, in our lives, spiritual and, and more broadly speaking. Yeah. I think here of something that St. Thomas describes when he talks about the emotions, he says, taking at face value, they're neither good nor bad. They just kind of are right. It's something that we share in common with animals, but where it becomes morally significant is how we shape them, how we form them. Uh, basically how we, Kind of submit them to the reign of virtue and i think you can say a simpler a similar thing with respect to the temperaments um there are certain aspects of our lives which are kind of morally neutral at face value and then the question is how do we incorporate them in our more kind of broadly or richly human life and with respect to temperament you know you, you can kind of like look at a temperament and it affords you a way of 
making sense of the way that you or someone else responds to certain situations. And then you can say, okay, this seems to be how the chips fall, but then how do I play my hand, right? So we bet as we have, but what about the cards in front of me? What about, you know, what about the subsequent game? And I think that's where we make it a point of drawing out strengths, right? And seeking to, to heal and to elevate weaknesses so that our temperaments becomes a kind of base of operation, not an excuse for being lazy, for being selfish, for being impetuous, for being, um, you know, superficial, but that it becomes a source of, you know, recognition, like you said, of self-knowledge so that we can accept, right? Like you said further, who we are, and then not like get beyond ourselves, but like get beyond the limitations, which might keep us from realizing our full potential as human beings, not in like a be all that you can be kind of pop psychology way, but so as to be better cooperators with the reign of grace in our life, because, you know, we're, we're free, you know, we're real agents, albeit secondary agents with respect to God, who is the primary agent, but, but real agents. And I think that knowing something about your temperament and the temperaments of others can help you in your, you know, in your spiritual life, but also in your relationship so that you can draw out what's best from yourself and then draw out what is best from family and from friends. Um, okay. So that being said, whenever we talk about temperaments, I think, though, there is a temptation to reduce it all to temperament or to put people in a temperament box, um, as it were, you know, like we talk about, uh, you know, like, uh, what would you call that? Prejudicial treatment of one sort or the other, you know, like racism or sexism, you know, there, there can be a sort of, I'm going to make up a word, temperamentarism, no, never mind, um, temperamentism, where you say like, oh, you're just doing that because, or, oh, that's exactly what you would say because you're, uh, it's just like, okay, maybe, but also maybe not. So what do we do to resist this tendency just to explain everything in terms of the least common denominator? Where do we go from here? Yeah, the, the reality is that the, the temperaments are not virtues. Um, it's not like there's the four cardinal virtues. Um, of prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance, and then sanguine, or like the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love, and choleric. Um, you know, these these aren't virtues. Uh, they are, as Father Gregory was saying when he was talking about the emotions, in and of themselves, sort of neutral realities or kind of descriptors of behavior rather than um, definers of behavior. Uh, and in that, that means that they they don't uh, they don't lend themselves in and of themselves to goodness, to virtue. Um, you can have a saintly melancholic and you can have a saintly choleric or a saintly phlegmatic or even a saintly sanguine. You know, like any of these things are possible. Um, but and in the end, we're not, you know, we can't allow like how we pursue virtue and goodness and how we pursue the Lord to be sort of determined by um, a sort of, disposition to act um or by kind of uh the just like a, a way of our kind of yeah uh, i guess addressing sort of interpersonal relationships because in the, in the end we're called to live a virtuous life uh and we're called to um do the good and pursue the good and and move away from what is what is evil and vicious in our life so that's the case for all you know, whatever temperament and whatever like secondary temperament you might fall into. And and it's important to recognize that just because you're, well, I'll, I'll, I won't call anybody up just because I'm a choleric doesn't mean I get to be a jerk to people all the time. Um, you know, that's, that's, or just because 
somebody is a phlegmatic doesn't mean they get to like get away without ever having to make like a commitment or a decision in their life. You know, like that's, they aren't excuses for uh, less than like ideal behavior. They are just ways by which to help understand like, oh, why do I always kind of get annoyed very quickly? It's like, well, this is just kind of, it's part of who I am. So rather than being excuses, in some ways they're kind of, they're, they're kind of helpful in saying at least like me again, a choleric. Well, in a particular situation, in most situations, I might be given to like quick emotions, but like in knowing that, well, perhaps I can preempt, preempt that or react better knowing that like, and not be caught off guard by a quick emotive response, that sort of thing. Yeah. Another thing that I like, uh, or I find helpful kind of as a, as a fruit of this type of meditation is like the way in which we can perfect our relationships or the way in which we can perfect our friendships. Because when you think about it, like what's the goal of the spiritual life, but love, you know, to love God with his own love and to love our neighbor with the same. And certainly in the context of family and friends and colleagues and things like that, we have many opportunities to grow in love, but sometimes we get tripped off. Like we get tripped up in love before we ever really get going. Um, so like, say, you know, you're phlegmatic and you're conflict averse. Uh, you might try to convince yourself that everyone is basically fine, right? And that you don't have any enemies and no one is doing anything contrary to your good because you don't want to confront the notion that there might actually be a kind of injustice that needs to be redressed. Or this situation is not just going to go away and as a result of which it, it requires some type of action on your part. Okay, well, now, like maybe you've had that kind of brought to your attention and you have just kind of like greater impetus then to go about doing it charitably rather than just kind of retreating within the limitations of your personality or of your temperament. So to really love somebody means to will their good and sometimes willing their good will mean conflict, right? Will mean confronting them on something that, that makes their life or his or her life and your life worse and keeps you from loving God to the utmost. Or like, um, you know, for a melancholic, you're conscious of the fact that you are slow to form judgments, but when you do, they can be very harsh, idealistic, you know, some would describe them as judgmental or exacting. Okay, great. So then what are you going to do to kind of introduce a principle of mercy into your life? Well, there's no like cheating nature, as it were. It's just the only thing that can, that can go about ameliorating it is grace. But conscious of your own limitations, perhaps there's a greater openness there to being merciful, right? To being meek, to being clement, to softening some of the harshness or severity of your judgment so that you can be of, you know, like greater service or greater help to those with whom you find yourself kind of working shoulder to shoulder. And uh, I mean, something that actually doesn't get that much play, but which, which I think is super helpful is there's, there's a big, there can be a big emphasis, so there stands to be a big emphasis on affirmation. Like for instance, if you want to motivate a choleric, you challenge them. Um, but a lot of people don't respond well to challenge. They just kind of get overwhelmed by it. Um, they feel, yeah, they feel inadequate to it. So what's the response? Well, oftentimes, you know, like the pop psychologist will encourage a kind of affirmation of a sort, which is, which is great. It might feel in like kind of disingenuous at the outset. If you're like complimenting somebody just to motivate them, maybe even a little bit manipulative, but truth be told, like you got to fake it till you make it. And if we're going to grow in charity, I think part of that will be telling people that we love them or that there are things about those people that are lovable, even if maybe we're not especially predisposed to activity of that sort, whether because of, you know, your temperament or the culture from which you come or this, that, or the other thing. So I think that, you know, the knowledge that we gain from something like this 
helps us to be more conscious of or more open to the type of grace which can really propel us in our spiritual lives so as to be more faithful, hopeful, and loving. Um, yeah, you have further thoughts along those lines? Just that when, when we were when we were going through back when we were a lot younger, you know, in our younger days, when we were going through formation, <laughs> when we were uh, learning, when we were taking our uh, theoretical and then practical courses and hearing confessions and how to do that, one of the things that is is stressed here, um, well, here for me, I'm at the House of Studies, but here at the House of Studies is is to um, not even in our preaching too, but I'm thinking of hearing confessions is not to dive or delve into a sort of moralistic teaching of the faith, whereby we're just sort of like issuing commands, but um, like, don't do this and do that. But really to, to, to rely on, on virtue and, and growth in virtue and in friendship with Christ and that growth in virtue leads to friendship with Christ. So in hearing confessions, when someone, um, you know, if you're going to offer some sort of counsel, well, you don't have to say, well, read, you know, I, I'm very prideful. Well, read about the virtue of humility, but encourage people to pray for humility, you know, these, these contrary virtues to the vices. And I think that's the same thing here with, with the temperament and knowing yourself a little bit in these, in these ways of how you react, how you interact. Um, you know, you, we can, we can pray for those as father Gregory was describing, we can pray for those virtues, uh, to, to be sort of holier, to react better. So like a choleric might need to pray for a bit more patience than somebody else, or, you know, a melancholic might need to pray for a bit more like command and, or maybe a phlegmatic, a bit more command and exercising an action when he moves through like making a prudent decision. Um, so this this just this idea harkens again back to the idea that we're not we're not boxed in by the temperaments. We shouldn't give excuse to our behavior because oh he's a, he's just a choleric, so that's how he acts. Be well, maybe he's just a jerk too, and needs to stop being a jerk, and needs to you know. So there might be some virtue to pursue there. So it, I think it's also helpful not just in a, as a descriptor um, of how we act or how we might be given to act, but as Father Gregory was saying, as a way by which to like dive more deeply into our pursuit of virtue. And to play a little offense in growth, in our growth and virtue and our pursuit of holiness in that if we know we might be given to behave in a particular way in, a, in this or that setting, well, we can, we can continue to pray for the virtues that, you know, in group settings and maybe, you know, to be more charitable, be more patient, to be more whatever, um, before, even before we find ourselves in a difficult spot or a temptation or, or that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably a, a good thought with which to conclude. Um, yeah, ultimately, the temperaments are the, the setting for our freedom, right? They don't, they don't determine us to live in one way or the other, um, nor are they made to be an excuse whereby we give ourselves to per permission to be less than God wills us to be uh, because the, all the Christian faithful of whatever rank or status are called to the perfection of charity, and that's, that's possible to us regardless of how we're made, uh, because God's gifts are sufficient, uh, more than sufficient, they're abundant. Um, so with that, thanks so much for listening to this episode. Please do like it. Please do um, review it or comment upon it. Please do share it and then subscribe on your podcast app or subscribe on YouTube if you haven't yet. Uh, we're grateful for that. And if you do subscribe on YouTube, push that little bell because then Google will be forced to tell you when a video of this sort comes out again. Uh, thanks, a special thanks to our Patreon supporters who, um, yeah, enable and promote the work of the podcast, for which we are grateful, and please, God, we hope that many are blessed by it. Um, stay tuned for live planning and guest planning. We're going to take a little hiatus, a little break during uh, the month of December, since we will be bombarding you with Lexio Divina episodes on the weekends. So you'll see those um, 
You'll see this come back in force in January, but a little bit of a lessening there in, in December. And then, yeah, that's, that's what remains. So our prayers are for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on God's Planning. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.